0: Good evening, good night, wherever or whoever you may be. I am Alan Arante, and this is the Recluse Podcast. Today's guest is Miriam Wayne. She is currently pursuing a career in secondary education as an English teacher. She writes poetry and she's an activist. She recently made the Cincinnati News as the result of her leadership and her role in organizing the student protest that took place recently. It was comprised of 600 people, and if I understood her correctly, it sounded like they had planned it only a day or two before, out of necessity. In this conversation, we talk about her experience as a biracial black woman and the imposter syndrome that can come with that. She mentions the, ex- the exhaustion that black people are feeling right now. We discuss whether or not she's afraid to be in the front and center of this movement. Without further delay, proudly, I present to you a portrait of Miriam Wayne. What has it been like to be the product or the child of um, a biracial relationship?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Great question. Um, I always have this, have had this dream to maybe do some sort of dissertation on that Mm. exact question. Wow. (laughs) Yes. Yes. When you have a relationship that is taboo for, and illegal on top of that for most of us history, loving versus Virginia, the Supreme court case that, um, uh, that uh, made interracial banned anti-miscegenation laws. So interracial marriages were allowed. And that was, um, a little over 50 years ago. And um, when you have two people navigating um, a relationship that was only barely legal uh, 20 years ago, 20, 30 years ago, what other um, complexities does, does does the relationship inevitably rub off on the children? Because I, I have friends and even older, older friends who... Um, you know, we have similar experiences, um, similar, like, you know, issues, you know, that we navigate through our entire life. Um, And a lot of it is due to um, the fact that our parents' relationship was, like, almost unheard of for most of our U.S. history.
0: Do you feel that there's this uh, concept called imposter syndrome? And I've had this feeling growing up because I – I'm like, like I said, I'm a Mexican man. I never learned Spanish. And as a kid, I was really ashamed by that, that I didn't have, or at least I felt that I didn't have this deep connection to my heritage or culture. Has anybody ever treated you like, oh, you're not black enough or you're not white enough?
1: Yeah. Um, it's funny that you, you mentioned imposter syndrome. I actually just wrote, uh, this poem and I shared it on social media and, um, I called it imposter syndrome. And,
0: wow. Okay.
1: Um, <laughs> I, uh, that's like, I've realized recently a lot of it due to quarantine that, um, that's been a lot of my life sort of feeling this imposter syndrome
0: mm. cloud
1: over me. Like, um, you know, I wasn't black enough. I was too black. I was too foreign too American. Um, too different you know too um ambiguous like uh yeah wow <laughs> I, I really feel you and you know i had i had a best uh, my best friend from high school um she's uh latina her mom is a uh, Mex- Mex- mexican and um my friend always you know shared that sort of imposter syndrome she felt from not you know speaking spanish um, as great as she could and so yeah, it's real. <laughs> it's definitely real.
0: What what's like a figure for the the black demographic? How many black people are there in your town and in your your yeah your your town? What's it feel like to you?
1: Well, in my hometown, um, the black demographic was so low um, that one time, our junior year, we actually looked it up on the city's official website. And it made up like less than 1%. Wow. <laughs> <The whole town. laughs>
0: what has your feeling been? What's the pulse on your town is, are there a lot of uh, sympathizers with the black lives matter movement? Are there counter protests going on?
1: Um, so it's actually crazy. You say that, um, I, a few friends and I, um, woke up, um, last Tuesday and, um, a few of my other student friends and I we were just like we're tired you know like there's a lot of people especially from our hometown a lot of white people asking us how to get involved and you know we were just like this is exhausting so we we woke up last Tuesday and we said we're going to just plan a protest here um and we did that in less than 24 hours and we had <sighs> about 600 people come out is that what it wow. was um, Alani was it six hundred people? Yeah. Six hundred people, um, most a lot of them from our hometown. Um, and uh I had someone from my hometown, um, someone uh, I didn't ever get along with in high school, um, because of political reasons, he comes up to me after the protest and um I'm like, Wow, like what are you doing here? And he's like, you know, I know you and I don't agree on a lot of things, um, but this I can get behind. And I'm like, well, we quite frankly agree on nothing, but, <laughs> but you know, I appreciate, you know, the, the intention. Um, and it was honestly, I was probably in a state of like what just happened for the next 24 hours because um, growing up, like we barely had conversations in English class about race without someone getting visibly uncomfortable to where the teachers might have to like redirect the conversation um, and to see so many people I haven't even talked to since middle school after our student organized protests last week. Um, it was like, wow, this is change. Like the something is happening. Something unexplainable is happening at every corner of our country right now.
0: Yes. So you so you were one of the uh, co-organizers of the protest, the 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 protest that ended up on the news.
1: Yes. Um, yes. I mean,
0: how do you get the word out? I mean, you said it 24 hours later, bam. How do you get the word out for something like that?
1: Um, so I learned very quickly that organizing is not easy work. Um, Barack Obama wrote hundreds of pages about it in his memoir, Dreams from My Father. Like Organizing mm-hmm. is not something that people just like want to do. Um, it was exhausting. Um, but thankfully... Um, you know a lot um four five powerhouse women in our group um two of them capricorn women <laughs>
0: um
1: <laughs> oh three capricorn women um we we just we just sat down and we drank coffee for about 7 hours and we said your job is to do this your job is to do this your job is to tell these people your job is to tell these people and we knocked it out. And um, I think a lot of it came from the diversity in our group. You know, um, like I said, there were um, three uh, black women and another woman of color. And then we had um, a white woman and we had um, a black man and I think uh, three white men. And um, I, I feel like the diversity of it also maybe might have contributed to the word. Um, we re- we were able to reach so many people um it wasn't just white people who came out um it was uh, black students and um, other minority students and it was um (laughs) it was really assuring to see
0: what made you and, and the group you just mentioned what motivated you to do it I mean you said you woke up you guys woke up one morning and and what so what what was the motivation behind this
1: Um, well, for, um, my friend, um, Anna and I, um, we talked a lot about how, um, a lot of people from our hometown were sort of asking us, um, questions, Mm. um, paragraphs, like dozens of people, um, sort of expecting us to like, you know, give them answers, like specifically them. Um, and that's a whole nother conversation on, um how black women in America and all over the world, honestly, um, and other women of color are expected to just um, take the weight of the world on our shoulders.
0: Wow. Um, oh yeah. I mean, I'm wondering you, you've said it a couple of times and I've heard it from other people that people come to you for answers. And I mean, how does that make you feel? Is that frustrating? Is that, uh, do you, do you feel grateful that people are asking? how does that make you feel to constantly be, be asked what to do?
1: It's, um, humbling to know that so many people find trust in your words, you know? Um,
0: so is there a feeling of frustration or, or I guess I should say, are there any negative feelings? I've seen some people's take on that where it's like, why are you asking me? Go, go read a book, go, go go out there in the streets. Do you have any negative feelings when people approach you and are asking you what to do? Or do you feel, um, that this is how you can actually help the movement by offering answers and suggestions?
1: Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, boundaries are really important, um, for anything, um, understanding that everyone is just a human being and um, Mm. you shouldn't call someone in the middle of the night. Um, you know, um, because you have a question, but uh, at the same time, I'm studying to be a teacher. Um, oh, I, awesome! I want to, yeah, I want to um, be in the classroom with um, middle school and high schoolers, and um, sort of be able to facilitate um, those those conversations with our world's next leaders. Um, and I've learned the hard way that um, when you're in a situation when you have information and someone else is um, kind of sort of asking for guidance to get that same information. Um, mm. If you personally have the capacity to give the information, do it. Um, and if you personally don't have capacity, then you don't have to. And there's nothing wrong with that either. Um, I think it's, it's an individual thing, of course. Um, thankfully at this point in my life, I feel mentally, you know, okay and capable of handling stuff like that. But, uh, maybe a year ago I wouldn't have been. And, um, it's just all about, you know, individual people. And recently we had, um, some unfortunate events occur, um, with, uh, protesters and, um, Uh, Trump supporters sort of uh, having backlash on it. Um, There was violence. um, So very triggering situation on itself. I actually spoke with someone today um, who reached out to me on social media. Um, This person asked me if they should um, uh, organize in that same town. And I was like, Mm. in the interest of safety, I can't tell you that I think that's a good idea um it's terrifying um when it's it's terrifying you know it's great that the momentum is spreading but it's terrifying to see like how our racism is so rooted in our country that when that uh momentum starts to spread and um that that you start to feel that backlash how nasty and scary mm. and horrifying it get it really makes the situation
0: like, real, if it wasn't before. Yeah. Uh, so, you, I mean, you're an organizer. You, you're you clearly very vocal on these issues, and you're literally out in the street proclaiming them. Are you scared at all? There's a lot of stories about, uh, from the past, like, who, where organizers have been victimized, and obviously just the cases of, of uh, police brutality going on right now, and that... Well, it's always been. But in recent cases of, of black people being gunned down by police officers, even after this George Floyd situation, are you scared at all?
1: Um, well, <laughs> um, my, one of my favorite quotes um, by any U.S. president is Franklin D. Roosevelt. Um, he says something along the lines of courage is not. The absence of fear, but it's the understanding that something else is bigger than that fear. Mm. And I think that can best explain how I feel about all of that. You know, I know that, um, speaking out and, um, sort of, um, putting myself out there does make me vulnerable to things as such as if I weren't doing that. Um, I think that, when you're standing up for something that you believe in with every fiber of your being, um, it just, it doesn't really matter if I'm afraid or not. Mm -hmm. I don't have a choice at that point.
0: Yeah. In, uh, in 2016, you recently reposted it, but you posted this uh, black lives matter, um, image and the caption said, I refuse to be quiet. You had posted that in 2016, and and here we are again. Uh, What was going on for you in 2016, and what were the state of things uh, when you posted that? You say, I refuse to be quiet.
1: Yeah, so 2016, I was um, 16 years old, and I was about to go into my junior year of high school. And at this time, I was sort of proudly um, owning my existence as a black woman, something that I hadn't been able to do for most of my life. um, Just with um, the sort of family dynamic I was born into. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, at this time I'm feeling so empowered. I'm learning about my history more and more. I'm 16, you know, and, summer comes around and, um, the video of Flandre Castile comes out. Um, the video of Alton Sterling comes out, you know, all of these mm. things, they, they just, uh, my world is shattered. I, um, I'm just living with my dad. It's just my dad and I, um, you know, a lot of things are happening during this time. And, I don't necessarily feel comfortable enough to speak out at this time. Mm -hmm. But I sort Mm -hmm. of like put on this, like, I don't want to say front, but like this like armor. And, you know, I watch my dad. My dad is a really big activist um, for his home country of Mauritania in Cincinnati area. And um, growing up, I see him, sort of advocating for black lives um in tenure because that's a whole nother conversation about um the way the government in Mortena um kills and just dehumanizes black Africans. Um but, you know, I'm really growing into myself as a woman at this time and um you know, I'm only sixteen and I'm speaking out and peers are, you know, sort of condemning me for speaking out and family members. And it's just, it's a really isolating time for me. Um, But I think that post was sort of like my way as a 16 year old, you know, girl trying to figure it out. It was a way for um, me to plant the seed, you know, like I refuse to be quiet. Uh, There's no reason for me to feel the need to be quiet because this is what is right. You know?
0: So fast forward to 2020 today, what What has changed since then for you as an individual and for the movement in general are are we in a worse place a better place um How do you gauge that difference from back then to now?
1: Good question I mean, just a few months after that, my world was kind of shattered um, our entire world was shattered honestly when Trump was
0: mm. nominated
1: president and um for a while, uh, m- a lot of my senior year, I blocked a lot of things out. I tried to tune out. Um, I was accepted to go to Howard University, and then I found out mm-hmm. I couldn't go because of money. and um, I was just really just broken <laughs> the world. And um, I think it's important to note what has changed since then. Um, but it's also even more important to remember what still has to change change is slow um, and we were set back with uh, the Trump administration yes Um, so what's happening right now is really important because who knows when the next time we're going to get this opportunity like this momentum is huge and even like uh policy wise like we there's so much potential right now to actually change and it won't fix everything but it'll be the start that we need you know and um i think uh we just really need to hang on to this momentum and in any way we possibly can
0: yeah I'm, I, I'm on board with that totally. This momentum is its so strong right now. There are so many peaceful protests and rallies going on. So many people are sharing important information. Petitions are being signed. Dozens and dozens of petitions are being signed just with the click of a button because of social media. I think social media is such a strong aspect of this movement right now obviously the people in the streets and the people doing the heavy lifting, but uh, social media has just been a great tool uh, for organizing and getting the message across. You, um, you wrote, I think it was yesterday. You wrote, this is not a game. This is not a hashtag trend. This is not for clout. This is not for fun. This is not a choice. This is personal. What, what's behind that?
1: Yesterday was, um, a little overwhelming for me as a diet for like, um, as a day in general, and, you know, I also have uh, my summer job. I work with students and I'm trying to balance a lot right now as a young adult, adulting as well. Um, I'm a little <laughs> overwhelmed <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and reading about what happened with, um, Alu what's uh, Saluan, uh, the young activist who was killed Mm -hmm. and turns out, um, she was killed by a member of our own race, um, a black man. And as a black woman, um, it's just really hard um, to see that because uh, in a lot of ways our existence as a black people and black women um, specifically because intersectionality it's been a lot. A lot of my friends can attest to it as well. It's been hard and we're really realizing how, you know, black women rely on other black women and that's how it's always been. And that's how we, you know, who knows if it's ever, you know. Um, so after seeing that, I, uh, I was just kind of in overdrive, um,
0: very emotional. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. You, you mentioned the aspect of intersectionality. So Toyin was a, a young black woman, um, and whatever other characteristics she had, I I don't, I don't know too much about her. Was she, or yeah. What do you know about Toyin? All I know about her is that she was a young black activist. Do you know anything else about her?
1: Yeah, I was, I was reading a little bit. Um, I know that I learned that the GoFundMe page that was apparently created um, by her family is allegedly um, not a good GoFundMe to donate to because her friends say that she was actually running like from her um, family, mm. yes, uh, in terms of abuse. Um, so. Um, watching videos of her speak, um, I really feel her pain. Um, I feel the pain in her voice. Um, I was watching a few of her, uh, videos that were posted um, cause she was uh, trending for a while on social media before um, she was killed. And, um, she was a great, Young woman with powerful, powerful words. Just as a person in general who can um, relate to certain parts of her identity, um, it just feels um, familiar.
0: Wow! Um, yeah that that that's that's the part that people and and I don't even I'm not even saying I understand it, but it, I think that's one of the the biggest things that people just don't notice. Um, for instance, this movement, it's, it's for the empowerment of black people. It's to, to bring the status of black people in this country to an elevated state. And so, so for instance, white folks, they may not, they don't, it doesn't resonate with them sometimes, sometimes because they don't know what that's like. And like what you're saying with Toyin, you're, you were, you're about the same age as her, right? Uh,
1: I'm 20. Yeah. So very similar.
0: yeah, the age is similar. You're both uh, women, you're both black. So when you hear a story about her and you hear the details, you, you feel it a lot more than someone else, I would imagine, and that's the part that people don't understand. They, that's why it's so easy to distance themselves from these issues, because how can, you know, a wealthy white man relate to a young black girl who was, who was sexually assaulted and killed?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I think the thing that feels so different about all of this is, um, even within my own family and, um, uh, close friends and, um, even exes and, um, <laughs> um, colleagues have come to me and said, you know, in, for certain cases, some people have said I was wrong. Um, for a lot of people, um, they've said, can you teach me more? Because I was biased. And um, people mm-hmm. who are really starting to learn. Like, and a colleague tell me, you know, thank you for being a good friend to where me as a white privileged male, I have the opportunity to ask the questions I might be scared to ask, but without asking them, you know, I might be perpetrating certain bias that, you know, is hurting, you know, the students that, you know, I'm teaching, you know, like, Mm -hmm. Uh, my black my black students you know and um that's what feels so different about all of this and that's what's um really uh sort of inspiring um seeing people sort of understand like finally like listen
0: uh kayla a greaves i'm not sure who she is but i had seen a post of hers recently and she says black women show up for everyone but who is really out here protecting black women? Can you, can you relate to that statement she made?
1: Um, yes, I can. Um, I was speaking with uh, one of my friends the other day and, um, she was just telling me like, you know, Miriam, I'm real, really proud of you for like, you know, doing all this, but you know, me personally, like I'm fed up with black people Like, and she's black. Wow. And she's like, I'm fed up with black people right now. And, you know, like, and I am talking to her and I'm like, yeah, I know, like, you know, but, um, you know, it's important that we just sort of um, find a common ground right now, you know? Um, and um, she was just like, you know, I really, I'm really proud of you for doing this, but like, you know, personally, like I couldn't, you know, couldn't um I couldn't do all that. And I wouldn't want to. And I I respect it. I really do.
0: Do you think it's enough for someone to just simply not be racist? It is more required than just simply not being racist.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. My dad and I used to joke when I was younger and I was in high school used to call me an extremist because I was just so pro-Black. I was just, like, <laughs> so, like, at one point, maybe a little obnoxious. But I was so, like, proud. And um, my dad, you know, I would get really <laughs> angry with people. I was also 16 and, like, full of angst. And I would get so angry with mm. people if they couldn't see my side. And uh, my dad was like, you know, you're an extremist. like, you, you can't, can't just, like, force people <laughs> to... You, you know, you got to convince them. You got to get them on track. And well, I'm 16 at the time. So I'm like, no, like. And <laughs> um, yeah, that's but, coming
0: from an activist.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I've learned that um, with a little bit of um, understanding and love, and um, as long as there's respect present, there's things that we can all do, be doing better right now. Um, and not to say that the angry, um, activists and i I myself am an angry activist, but not to say like the super angry activists are invalid. I think they are just as necessary as more, um, mediator type activists. You know, you look at the, you know, the differences between Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. And, you know, I would just watch the docu- documentary, um, that Netflix put out of Nina Simone and Nina mm-hmm. Simone, um, she goes up to Dr. King and she says, Mr. King, I am not, not, I am not for nonviolence. And he says, that's okay. That's okay, sister. Like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and I'm not saying I'm for violence, but I'm just saying, you know, we all have a duty right now and that's not my job to decide what your duty is. That is your job
0: to Mm. figure that
1: out and make it happen. Period.
0: (laughs) Yeah. This, um, movement I've, I've really taken to the idea that there, that there are a lot of ways we can assist in this movement. Um, some people feel ashamed that they can't be out there in the streets. Uh, to, to, and I've heard people respond to that by saying, well, there are a lot of jobs to do. I mean, we need to get this information out, sign petitions, raise money, donate money. Um, and there's a lot of ways that people can come out without actually having to come out. Uh, to the to a physical street, and um, and and I'm happy that that everybody you know not not that that old phrase you know not it not one person can't do everything, but everyone can do something, and and I find a lot of value in that. Um, with this particular movement, um, I was curious. I what do you think about? Uh, this is sort of a silly question, but. What do you think about the new video that uh Takashi 69 came out with with uh, Nicki Minaj? Have you seen it or heard anything about it?
1: Uh, no, I haven't.
0: <laughs> I I I saw some of it um and I won't even uh say what I think about it really. I was just curious. I'll, I'll just briefly describe it. Basically, uh Nicki Minaj is like practically naked, uh shaking her butt, <laughs> and Takashi's like rapping and stuff. Um but they dropped that video like two days ago or like a week ago or something like that in the heart of this, uh, movement. Um, what do you think about that? Do you, do you have, do our celebrities, and in particular black celebrities obliged to take part in this movement?
1: So something I've sort of realized with organizing, um, sort of, um, attempting to, you know, get in contact with other uh, black student leaders on campus. And um, the difficulty of it, I believe comes from the exhaustion that black people feel right now um, with just talking about race and living in mm. an existence that is just so surrounded by race. So, you yes. know, me personally, I wouldn't drop um, <laughs> a music video in the middle of this, but at the same time, you know, um I experience you know racism as a black woman of course but maybe to a lesser degree than um, my cousins who are darker than me um, because I am biracial and um, you know I recognize that maybe in during some conversations I might have a little bit more capacity to start a conversation than um, some other of my um, fellow black sisters and um, you know it's it's like I said earlier, it's all about where people are at and black people are tired. We're so tired.
0: Mm.
1: I don't, like I said, it wouldn't be my personal choice, but you know, um, people are trying to deal with this. And that is why, why allies are so crucial right now, because this is their chance to use their privilege to sort of, I don't want to say overcompensate, for how exhausted black people feel right now, but wow. maybe sort of, um, you know, we talked about equity, like, you know, <laughs> white allies have a lot more, they <laughs> need to contribute like equity wise to the, um, mm-hmm. topic of uh, race and racism.
0: You had posted or written something about how black kids are forced to, to grow up quicker. What do you mean by that?
1: um, If you've ever read or heard of the book Between the World and Me, Ta Nehisi Coates, um, the structure of the book is he writes a letter to his um, teenage son about how to be a black man in America, and Mm. it's a short book, um, but it um, it's absolutely gut wrenching. My um, senior year uh, English teacher gave it to me um as a sort of like wake-up call because i was um sort of not making the best decisions my senior year of high school like just sleeping in and you know because i was um going through my own personal things and he came up to me one day and he's like you know you're one of my students i am gonna see on cnn in 20 years (laughs) you, (laughs) you need to get yourself together and he gave me this book and i remember i tuned out of his lesson that day but i was he let me in um he let me sit in the corner and just read the book because as a, as a good, as a real good educator, you realize, oh, your student may not be tuned into your lesson, but they're tuned into something that's ultimately mm. even more important. So let them, you know, and he let me, and he gave me that space to just read. And I was crying in the middle of class, like I'm in this 18 year old, like thinking I'm too good for school. And I'm in the middle of like class crying because this book is so, it, it brought to my attention, this idea of a stream of consciousness that um, Black people are aware of, are um, given at such an early age, at such a young age, because, um, you know, our existence is a lot different from our um, white peers um, as kids, um, especially for young Black boys and um, yeah, go ahead. I've
0: seen a couple of uh, posts where it's a black child, mo- usually a black, a, a, a little black boy with a sign, like it's at a protest or something. And the sign will say, when, at what age do I stop being cute and start being a threat or, or something of that nature? And I was thinking of that when you had, when you had uh posted or written that, that phrase about how black kids are forced to grow up quicker. And, and you mentioned that if, if a black child doesn't get with the program soon enough, he could, who knows, who knows what could happen out in the world because of how this country in particular treats its black people. Right. Yeah, exactly. so, Uh, Do you recall? Did your dad or your mom ever have to sit you down when you were younger and sort of give you a glimpse into what your into what your future might be in terms of how you're treated out in the world, or did you gradually just learn any of these uh, details?
1: Yeah, uh, no, (laughs) I think I sat my parents down (laughs) and had the talk with them when I was uh, sixteen because I, I was realizing things and my dad he never um, forced any ideology on me, but um, he would just educate me on things. And, you know, slowly and surely I put the pieces together on my own. Um, my dad never gave me an agenda to believe in, or he just gave me facts, you know, and I, <laughs> I literally put the pieces together on my own. And when I finally got that puzzle together, I sat my parents down and I read them. <laughs> wow. <laughs> about how I feel as a black woman.
0: What do you think about people right now who are posting just ordinary content or ordinary things on uh, social media? Them at the beach or their sandwich or something like that. What are your what's your perspective on that?
1: In some cases, it honestly feels like a slap in the face, especially when I'm close with these people in some way, or I was at one point in this lifetime. Um, it feels like a slap in the face. It feels like, uh, you know, they're saying I have the privilege to ignore this and I'm going to, because it makes me uncomfortable. I see how uncomfortable mm. it's making you. I how it's made you, but, um, I don't want to go through that myself or, but at the same time, um, I understand people may have their own preexisting, like mental health issues. I know I personally, uh, have my battle with anxiety and sort of managing that. Um, um, not everything is black or white. I know that. Um, but in a lot of cases, it does kind of feel like a slap to the face, especially when I know them personally.
0: Yeah, I'm just sort of confused by it. Um, I, I don't know what's right or not in this regard. I don't I don't know how people ought to be acting right now. So that's why I try very hard not to judge. But I am confused sometimes when I see some of the stuff that uh people I know are posting where it's just there's no acknowledgement of what's going on and everything's just fine and dandy, is what the photos seem to be saying. And and I think you're right. Even if they don't even if they don't know that it seems a little microaggressive and it's and it's not intended to be, even if they don't see that, uh, it is at least an illustration of their privilege that that's at the minimum of what is happening, where they have the privilege to to ignore it, just like you said. Um, And I'm a little confused by it. So, again, I don't know what's right or wrong in that in that uh, respect. But I'm at least it at least makes me wonder what the person's thinking about and how much they care.
1: Right. Yeah. You said that perfectly.
0: So just to, so I just have a few more questions. Um, I'm curious. I'm actually also going to school to be a teacher. Are, are you you're planning on being a middle school or high school teacher?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing I'm studying um, secondary English education.
0: And what does that mean? Actually, secondary English. Oh, oh, that's like high school and middle school English, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, like grades 7 through 12. I can teach wow.
0: What, what drew you to that? Um, did you want to be a teacher before you knew you wanted to teach English? Or did you always have that passion for English?
1: No. Um, I, you know, when I was younger, I used to have, like, teacher parties um, with my stuffed animals. Or, sorry, like <laughs> um, school parties and... Um, I had a whiteboard and I would have <laughs> animals sit at desks, quote unquote, uh, pillows. And, um, I would also force my cat at the time <laughs> to sit at pillows. She did not like that. Um, and I had my gerbils in their little gerbil balls and I had my classroom and I would literally go, I would make, um, I would write out, um, Assignments like and duplicate it on every single paper. I would go around, and fill out each paper for individual student and then I would go in and grade each and every single paper. <laughs> like playing teacher, <laughs> I would always make my cat like fail, like Molly, because she was a mean cat, probably because of me. <laughs> but, um, you know, I've always been told also I should do law school, and I've always felt strongly about that as well. Um, I didn't know I wanted to study education in college until last summer when I did, um, when I worked for breakthrough collaborative breakthrough Cincinnati and um, I fell in love with teaching. Uh, I fell in love with the process of teaching and while you're teaching, you're also learning and it's just constant, like you're feeding off of teacher and student, like that energy is in constant motion. um, I, I love that. And all I know is, for my 20s, I at least want to spend my career in the classroom working with our next generation of leaders.
0: And what was a breakthrough? What what did that project entail?
1: Uh breakthrough is just a an amazing program um that invites um students um Usually, um, high potential students into a space at a local university, and we um, they call in college students to uh, come and teach (laughs) these middle school students, and it's really cool because. We're in college. Um, We're not technically like adult adults yet. So we're like kind of close in (laughs) age, but like not too close, you know, but close enough to where they refer to us as like Miss Miriam. Um, Mm -hmm. um, So there's like that level of respect and it's such an amazing like experience. Like I had this classroom full of uh, sixth graders last summer and I taught French like beginning French, um, and <laughs> <laughs> it was so fun. I have I actually have pictures from that class on my fridge from my students, and they were just so full of life. Like six graders, they're like how do I say this? And they were just so eager to learn. And, you know, when they would get um, sort of tired, I would stand on desks and teach to keep them engaged <laughs> and make a fool out of myself. And I fell in love with absolutely humiliating myself for the greater good of education. <laughs>
0: <laughs> do you, can you think of what do you think about when you have your own classroom, what, if you're teaching high school or middle school, do you ever daydream about lesson plans that you hope to do someday?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't have specific like scenarios in my head, but um, one of my favorite movies is Freedom Writers, And uh, um, from my own experiences in high school, Certain English teachers who created the space for conversation to happen. Um, I think the mark of a true educator is like not what they say, but like the sort of space they can facilitate for conversation to happen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I had amazing teachers, you know, have the skill set to create that space for me. And I think my biggest dream as an educator is to be able to create that space for my students.
0: I have just one question, one more question for you for now. Um, It's so cool that we have the education thing in common. Um, It seems like you're, whatever it is you're going to do in the future, I can imagine just being great um, just from talking to you. And I'm sure your teachers saw that in you too. you. You can answer this next question any way you like. Who are you?
1: I am a human who loves other humans and believes in our ability to um, create a world of love and, uh, and um, all of its ever-changing dynamics. <laughs> um, it's not about me. It's really important um, that I humble myself these days because this isn't about me. This is so much bigger than like I can even comprehend yet. And all I know is I just, I have a part to play and um, I gotta do it. That's all I know. <laughs> uh-huh.